It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. Welcome to the first show of 2021, hosted by me, Brian Kilmeade. We appreciate you being here. I get the sense uh, news will not slow down, and this show will continue to grow. My fingers are crossed that both those things are happening. Uh, also, if you missed the show live, you can always download all three hours. Go to BrianKilmeadeShow.com. You can pick Spotify, iTunes, iHeart. Also, uh, we have new stations, WATN, 1240 AM in Watertown, New York. Uh, you'll be uh, hearing us. Uh, AM 1240, WATN is the North County's, uh, the North, Co- North Country's News and Talk Authority. And we're on in Charleston, South Carolina, WTMA. So we appreciate being on that great station, WX. Uh, QWAM Mobile, Alabama, also will be carrying us. So it's going to be a big year. And it's going to be a big hour. We're going to be joined by Bill Crane. He's a senior communications strategist, chief political analyst, and commentator for WSB Radio and WSBT TV Action News in Atlanta. He not only knows what's going on in the media, he knows what's going on on the ground in the most important senatorial runoff races in our lifetimes, probably ever. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I'm telling you that things are changing. 1.5 million doses in the last 72 hours. That's meaningful change. And uh, I, I, we're working with the governors. We're working with everyone to make sure we improve upon this process. Well, there is uh, Dr. Adams. He's the Surgeon General, whose wife, by the way, has to go into the hospital for cancer surgery. The COVID-19 vaccine. Four million have it. 200 million people need it. What are we doing to speed up the process and why some say they still won't take it? Number two. We have an obligation to protect the integrity of the democratic system. We will together object to certification in order to force the appointment of an emergency uh, electoral commission to perform an emergency audit of the election results. Uh, So it's a little crazy, right? Last desperate gasp to overturn the presidential election. As the president in hot water, uh, that, of course, is a phone call. And Ted Cruz is leading a perplexing legal challenge that has no hope of success. We'll look at both issues that has divided the GOP. Number one. Republicans did pretty well in the November 3rd elections, all things considered, except at the top, right? They gained seats in the House. And so to lose these two Georgia seats in a state that, frankly, is still pretty Republican, even if it's trending now more Democratic than it had been in the past, would be a pretty big blow. Uh, That is uh, true. And that is Peter Baker of The New York Times. Georgia, America turns their angry, nervous eyes to you as we get to elect two more senators tomorrow. Two Democratic wins and they get the Senate. What are the chances that will happen? Well, we'll examine some of the recent polls. I'm not going to bother you with these polls. They're all within the margin of error. But for me, I can't believe it's close. I mean, think about this. In the regular, the first time they ran against each other, 88,000 more votes for David Perdue than John Ossoff. And then Warnock wins the jungle primary. But if you combine all the Republican candidates in this race of 10 10 people, they got 50,000 more votes than than Raphael Warnock. And these are two talented people. But they're way to the left wing. They belong in the squad. 
There's no way that Georgia should embrace this. Why it's even close, I don't understand, but I do believe it is close. Let me just tell you the numbers right now. Mail-in voters, 957,544 already mailed in their votes. The total mail-in person vote is over 2 million. That's when you include absentee ballots. The total vote is over 3 million. So if you look at these early voters, the... um, They say that there's 115,389 who did not vote in the first election, November 3rd. So you look at those numbers. They're pretty intimidating. Look good for Democrats. Looks like they're in contention. But keep in mind, too, about 30,000 people didn't vote in Republican districts in the suburbs. They just didn't want to vote for the president. And you have. Where is the number Uh, in Atlanta? that sat out the last election, 18,000 that didn't vote for the president last time. So you have people there, Republicans, who just stayed home November 3rd, I imagine might be exercised to put a vote in this time because their state is no longer reliably blue, excuse me, red, without them. So Kelly Loeffler, who is a rookie politician, who is uh, uh, seems like a fine woman, very enterprising. She'll be the richest senator, as the richest senator, they say, uh, by marriage, it seems, in the Senate. Here she says the stakes tomorrow. Cut one. They know the future of the country is on the ballot here in Georgia. It's a choice. It's a stark contrast between the freedoms, our way of life here in Georgia, or socialism, government control. We know the agenda of the left because Chuck Schumer told us he was going to take Georgia and then change America. Yeah. So we know that she parries and talks about her left-wing opponents, but almost robotic. Doug Collins would have been light years better. I have no idea why Governor Kemp chose not to go with Doug Collins, who's also a pastor. So he wouldn't be able to go toe-to-toe with Warnock on the Bible, which might help. Because he's he's, uh, refining the Bible in ways I don't know uh, about. Not equipped to answer. But, man, uh, he would have been. So, Stacey Abrams leading the charge to sign up all these new voters. Legal or illegal. She's bending the rules, it seems. Or bent the rules to her sway after people maybe were guilted into, after she lost the governor's race, to going her way. She formed a very powerful super PAC. She's got a lot of celebrity power. And... She has no credibility when it comes to pushing back on the president, who is really upset by the way the Georgia election came out, because she never even admitted that she lost the election. Here she is trying to defend herself yesterday. Cut five. Well, it's not simply different circumstances. It's apples and you know bowling balls. These are all things we proved both in court and we sought remedies to. By contrast, President Trump has lost every single one of his challenges in the state of Georgia, and he has no evidence. In fact, an audit, the fourth, I think, of this election, found that there was zero fraud in our signature match process. One person acted or inadvertently signed for her husband against the rules, but otherwise we know that the signatures match and that the process works. Well, the problem is they released, they, they backed up the criteria for uh, signature matching in a way in which they barely kicked out any votes, which just defies the logic of percentages. So that's what people are upset about. But Chris Christie weighed in, saw what was on that was happening on the ground, and said this about the races as he sees it. By the way, there's no way Chris Christie's not going to run for president again. Cut eight. In Georgia, I believe both Republicans um, will be elected to the seats and keep a, a Republican majority for three reasons. 
One, if you look at David Perdue's performance on Election Day, um, a November election, he got nearly 62 percent of the two-party vote. Two, Republican, the Republican Party in Georgia and from around the country started knocking on doors, masked and socially distanced the weekend after the general election. And they've been doing it ever since. It's been the greatest turnout effort in any state by the Republican Party in history. And third, um, election integrity is going to be watched by over 8,000 certified poll watchers that will be doing that on Tuesday. Those three factors, I think, are the largest factors, along with the quality of the candidates, that will start a new day for the Republican Party next Tuesday when David Perdue and Kelly Loeffler, I believe, will be elected uh, to the Senate and keep a Republican majority. And before I just close, let me just tell you what's happening today. Joe Biden goes to go there. He's going to get a small crowd, a bunch of people in cars will honk horns. The president's going to have a huge rally. It's going to be about 8 o'clock Eastern time tonight. It'll be televised. A lot of it's going to be carried on our network, and I think it'll energize people. What the president's got to do, and it's really on his shoulders, what the president's got to do is say, listen, I am vehemently— uh, opposed to what happened in my election. I do not believe that he lost 11. He does not believe they lost by 11,000 votes. What you have to do is come out and make sure all my accomplishments stay in place, or at least most of them, or else they'll all be gone the day I walk out of the Oval Office because the Senate and the House and the executive branch will all belong to Democrats. And he is not kidding. From going back in the JCPOA to going back, uh, going back into these Paris climate change to getting rid of oil and gas. I'm telling you, People think that fracking is secure. It is not secure. All this stuff goes by the boards because they're going to get rid of that filibuster. If the president makes that clear today, I believe both men, uh, both both candidates win for Republicans. If he doesn't, if he talks about the grievance of his last election, which brings me to my next topic, it won't. The president's got legitimate problems, mostly with mail-in voting. His legal team has not shown the proof that there was widespread fraud that delivered any state wrongly to Joe Biden. I can't go out and prove it. I don't have the resources. The ship has left the station. The train has left the station, if I could say it again. The horse has left the barn. That's probably a safer analogy to use. In retrospect, we'll change that for the West Coast. But what we're seeing now is 12 senators and Ted Cruz, Senator Josh Hawley separately, Challenge the results of the Electoral College. It's going to be happening on June 6th, uh, excuse me, on January 6th. That'll be Wednesday. So Ted Cruz, one of the president's biggest critics at one point, now is one of his staunchest supporters, will officially object to the certification. Tom Cotton, Liz Cheney, respectable conservatives, are not buying into this. Here's Ted Cruz, cut 20. I think we in Congress have an obligation to do something about that. We have an obligation to protect the integrity of the democratic system. And and so this past week, I spent writing out a position and assembling a group that ultimately of 11 senators that we put out yesterday that we will together object to certification in order to force the appointment of an emergency uh, electoral commission to perform an emergency audit of the election results to to assess these claims of fraud. Here's what I worry about. I'm going to give you the name. Guess who's joined? Ted Cruz, uh, Senator Inhofe, Senator Loomis, Senator Marshall, uh, Senator Haggerty, Tuberville, Kennedy, Blackburn, Langford, Ron Johnson, Josh Hawley, and Ted Cruz are in there. What I worry about is the precedent. Four years from now, uh, Tom Cotton runs and wins. Four years from now, Donald Trump comes back and wins. We're going to challenge the election. Really? You got trounced. No, no. We're challenging it. You challenged it. We're going to challenge it. 
Now, I know people have challenged in the past, but this is this is a major challenge to the election that has almost no no chance of success. Do you know if you go by the president of 1876, and I didn't memorize this, I came back and looked it up. They went ahead and said we need the chief justice and the speaker to appoint members, a council to analyze the results. You know that would be John Roberts, a big Trump critic, and Speaker Pelosi, who ripped up his State of the Union address. What kind of council do you think they're going to put together that are going to examine in 14 states within 10 days something the Trump legal team was unable to unwind? That's why people that love Donald Trump and respect what he's done, like Lindsey Graham— and Tom Cotton can't buy onto this, can't buy into this. And obviously Chris Christie can't buy into this. So I worry about that. I worry about the president. I also want to take your calls, one 7669 But as we go to break, I do want you to hear from Peter Baker. I think he he's a fair guy from the New York Times. I always thought so. He wrote a very fair book on George W. Bush that he didn't cooperate with. But I thought it was good. He just did a big book on Jim Baker that uh, I did not read it, but it's getting widespread praise. Republican stalwart. Cut 29. I think it's rather remarkable. You know, we have to put this in historical context. It's rather, uh, we just keep acting as if this is almost normal. It's obviously not normal. You know, I think about 220 years ago, John Adams was the first incumbent president to lose an election and gracefully handed over power to his successor without trying to keep control. That set a precedent for this country that has been the most important bedrock of democracy, arguably, in our history. What? And it's not going peaceful, and the president will probably won't be there. And what Peter Baker should know and probably does, misspoke. John Adams handed over power, no problem. But he had a huge problem with Thomas Jefferson. He left before he was sworn in. He left the White House. His son, John Quincy Adams, really upset that he lost Andrew Jackson, left a day before, never showed up at the swearing-in or the inaugural. It created chaos in the White House. There was absolutely no security there. But there was a transfer of power. I worry about the president. I have more. I don't care about the parties. I have uh, candidates I prefer, but I care more about the country. People think I'm crazy to say that, but I don't like this Ted Cruz move. I don't like it at all. I'm for an analysis like Tom Cotton wants a commission on it to analyze what happened in these states and the mail-in voting. And we got to stop this massive, unaccountable mail-in voting that, that compares to voter rolls that have not been updated. I get it. But all this stuff was done uh, for the most part within the rules. And the numbers of affidavits that have come forward and proof that they have have not been proven to overturn a single state from Wisconsin to Nevada to Arizona to Georgia to Michigan. one 866 We'll find out the exact facts on the ground from Bill Crane shortly, but you're next. Don't move. Honest commentary, unique opinions, no agenda. It's Brian Kilmeade. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. 
While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com slash path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com slash path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Every citizen of this country who is registered to vote should be guaranteed that their vote matters, that their vote is counted. I raise these objections because I am convinced that we, as a body, must conduct a formal and legitimate debate about election irregularities. That was the story in 2016. Barbara Boxer stood up and said the Russians gave the Trump, Trump the election in 2016. Hillary Clinton was robbed and she had the popular vote. And Congresswoman Tubbs is the other voice. Two of the people stood up and they had to be gaveled down by Joe Biden, then sitting vice president. I thought that was wrong then. And I actually think as much as I know the president feels as though he was robbed, they haven't proven it yet. And I worry about the precedent of 12 Republicans and over 100 Republican congressmen, 12 senators, rising up and protesting and asking for a 10-day pause of the Electoral College. I worry about the country. Uh, As disappointed I am that Trump didn't win, I think he's a light year's better president. I don't think this is the right way forward. Ted Cruz does. And Joe agrees with Ted Cruz. We love Joe on Long Island and listen on WRCN. Hey, Joe. Brian, good morning. I love you, but you are so off on this. There is what you mentioned anarchy this morning. I was very upset this morning. I, I watch you. I love you, man. But every challenge in a legal constitutional remedy, and we've spoken about this. The foundation founders laid it out in the Constitution. I and this was a coup, Brian. The path to victory is there. It's you. You. you Where is it? Each day. Yeah, you, you challenge each state elector individually on those uh, six swing states where they stopped their voting, and that and, and Trump's electors uh, brought his only. Uh, they put up Trump's electors there. You challenge each one individually. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. You delay it till the 18th of January. Pence denies the electors. Brings each one in those states. Brings each guy down below 270. And then if it goes back to the Congress who will not vote and it goes to the state, each state gets one vote. Republicans have it 30 to 20. And, Brian, 
This is the last defense for the unborn, disabled, and the elderly. Yeah, but right it's, but that's the vote. I mean, just like if they, if the Republicans lose these two Senate seats in Georgia, it's the last defense for so much I can't even list it all. But for the most part, you have a situation where the president's had since November 7th to put together the legal team with over $200 million raised, probably up $300 million now, to put together a cohesive defense in these states. And for 60 separate judges, many of which he appointed personally, they didn't see enough there. This is what the senators and congressmen and Republicans should all get. Not just 12. They all got to yeah, get Yeah, You know what? I just, Joe, I, I can't go along with it. And I know the president's upset about that. I heard him on that phone call. We'll play that back. The best thing you could do is win the Georgia seats. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. More than 100,000 voters who did not participate in November are voting in this election have already cast their ballot. And they are disproportionately voters of color and disproportionately young voters. And what I remind people of is that in the statewide election, you don't win county by county. You win person by person. And that's what we've been doing. Fair Fight has been willing to invest millions of dollars into organizations, smaller groups that have been doing the grassroots organizing and mobilizing that it's going to take to win. And we are very hopeful and very determined to do so on Tuesday. And Fair Fight is Stacey Abrams' group, and that was Stacey Abrams. Uh, she's feeling very optimistic about her early numbers. What does Bill Crane think? He's senior communications strategist as the chief political analyst, commentator for WSB Radio and TV in Atlanta. His syndicated column is called One Man's Opinion. Runs in uh, about a dozen daily and weekly newspapers, and he does the gritty stuff. He gets on the ground and finds out what's going on, and that's why he's so valuable to us during the most important runoff election in our lifetimes, maybe ever. Uh, Bill, welcome back. Always good to be with you, Brian, and and your listeners. Well, great. Uh, so you heard Stacey Abrams. She's feeling pretty good about Metro Atlanta and Columbus and Upson County, uh, as well as Albany. How do you feel about what she just said? I think that Verified Georgia and the Democratic National Committee and the line PACs and the state party have completely outworked and thus far out-hustled their Republican counterparts in absentee balloting, in registration, and so far an early voting turnout. We've had over 3 million ballots already cast in Georgia. I've adjusted my forecast upward to between 3.75 and 3.8 million. If the president, who is here in in Georgia, is able to light a voting tsunami fire under the GOP and turn out basically about a million voters on Tuesday, the tide can be turned. But right now, every indication I can see, and we could get into it if you have the time, to break down what's happened, where the vote has come in and where it hasn't, all would point to some big wins for all three Democrats tomorrow, with David Perdue really being the only one of the three incumbents on the ballot tomorrow that I see a path. Victory. Very interesting. Uh, because a couple of things. Uh, tell me if you're comfortable with these numbers. Total mail-in votes nine hundred fifty-seven thousand five forty-four. Total in-person That's voting two million seventy-four five hundred twenty-two. Yes, and there's still a hundred thousand absentees that have been sent out 
that haven't been received back yet. So that absentee number will break a million, assuming the majority of the people who receive those ballots cast them. If they don't cast them, they can, of course, show up at the polls and have that absentee ballot canceled. But, but they but, need they need to get there by tomorrow, right? Yeah, they need to be in the drop box at the county registrar's office by 7 p.m. And then an unfortunate quirk of Georgia law, if there's an issue or error with those absentee ballots at the county level when they're tabulating, there's three more days on the back to cure those absentee ballots. So just tabulating the absentee ballots, which I expect there'll be a million of, will probably take us to Friday. Some other numbers, 75,000 new registered voters for this election? The number I've seen is 77,000. Uh, Stacey Abrams keeps saying 100,000. The Secretary of State's breakout does identify 23,000 names that weren't on the rolls in November that have already voted. Uh, okay, and now we have a situation where the number that I heard that David Perdue needs in particular on Election Day is over a million, and that that could be something that happens, that a million people vote tomorrow. And if that happens, he wins. Do you agree with that? Yes, you're, you're, you're correct. If there's if there's a turnout north of a million on Election Day and David Perdue would get the bulk of that based again on where the votes are and aren't, then he can win. And then, of course, the Senate is split in terms of its majority being one vote in favor on the Republican side. Um, the challenge is – and we are going to have good weather here in Georgia tomorrow in the mid-50s is the forecast with uh, sunny skies. Um, Republican turnout thus far – is flat to suppressed where it needs to be spiking. Places like Cherokee County, the only county in the top, well, the president won and and David Perdue won two in the top ten population and county vote-wise in November uh, 3rd. So far, in the top five, only one county, Forsyth County, is reliably Republican. Um, and it had so far 90,000 votes cast, but the top three counties above that, or top four counties above that, each has between 350 and 250,000 ballots already cast, and those are Fulton, DeKalb, Cobb, and Gwinnett, where the president lost to Joe Biden, respectively, by 82% in DeKalb, 72% in Fulton, 67% in Gwinnett, and 54 or 5% in Cobb. So the numbers problematic. The math, the GOP will carry 140 to 145 counties, but the votes are in about 10 counties, and looking at where it's what's come in already, half the vote's already in. How much has it hurt uh, that the president and governor are, are warring, and how much did that tape hurt that came out Saturday, if at all? I think all of the infighting, and I've said this several times down here, all of the red team side is bloodying each other and muddying the waters and not focused on the end game, which is electing three Republicans in those runoffs, and that's factoring out in multiple ways. But when you have close contests, which on polling data says these three are, then all ships and guns and everything need to be aimed at the turnout and getting votes cast early, absentee, and on election day. And that does not appear to be where the focus is when you have, as recently as this weekend, our our president trying to strong arm our secretary of state. It's more than the, the distraction, which is the word that Governor Kemp continues to use. It's harmful. Here's what Peter Baker said on Meet the Press yesterday of the New York Times Cut 10. 
Normally, at least, there would be a lot of recriminations. You'd see Republicans saying, why did we follow uh, a leader who led us down this path, who's, who's uh, you know, the brand, the Republican brand uh, itself still has power, but it was Trump himself who was the one who, who couldn't bring votes to the table and we should uh, move on. On the other hand, he still did get 74 million uh, votes, and that's a really powerful force within the Republican Party. He's going to remain an outspoken figure, even from the sidelines. His Twitter account mm -hmm. with 80-some million people yeah. will receive his uh, messages no matter how true or false they are, and that's a factor for Republicans, particularly those who want to run right. in the future. And if you agree with that, he can, with the right message today, spur people out to the polls tomorrow. Yeah, I think if he comes to Dalton tonight and talks about what's at risk, his legacy, the issues that a Democratic Senate would move quickly on, like tax increases, regulatory rollbacks, um, judicial appointments that would not follow the pattern that he's laid out in the four years he's been in office— he could light the fire. I, I don't think that's what he's going to do. <laughs> you did not rate his last speech exactly what the doctor ordered. Well, when he came to Valdosta while he was introducing Senator David Perdue, who won't be at the rally tomorrow tonight because he's he and his wife have been exposed to COVID-19, so they're sheltering in place. Not helpful. Not helpful at all. Uh, it will be Kelly Loeffler alone, essentially, on that stage with some local elected officials because the governor and lieutenant governor and secretary of state have been uninvited. So I expect tonight's rally will be about strong-arming Kelly Loeffler into joining the 12 senators who have announced on Wednesday when Congress is certifying the electoral college results to join those 12 senators in objections. David Perdue is no longer in office. His term ended noon yesterday, but he's indicated he would be if he were there. He would be supportive of those of his colleagues. So I expect the pressure to be relentless on Senator Leffler this evening, as opposed to about getting her reelected. Right. She said yesterday, I've had time to do it, but I've supported the president every step of the way. She kind of uh, avoided the question. Now, she uh, straddled, the, she straddled let, the line. And yeah, she did on her not how, vote on the defense seat on the veto. But but with everything in Warnock's background, I'm not saying he's not talented. I'm not saying he he can't speak well and doesn't know the issues, but his stance on the issues and his background leaves him a very flawed candidate. And Senator Loeffler, while not not uh, politically savvy, she's a novice, seems to represent the values of Georgia that I thought Georgia had. Where am I, I, I wrong? I agree with you, Brian. But the Republicans the Republicans have to vote, and independent and swing voters have to vote. Cherokee County, Marjorie Taylor Greene's home county. Turnout there is down by 11 percent. Typically, in a runoff election, you see turnout drop by 50 percent based on the numbers already in. Turnout's only down by 18 percent statewide, but in places like Hall County, the home of Doug Collins, down by 7 percent. Um, the places where the GOP needs surge are flat or down. The places where the GOP needs to be flat or down are surging. That's not good math for any of the three and certainly not for the lesser two in terms of history and record with Republican voters. Yeah, I guess that would be one area in which I heard that Atlanta has Republican voters, and many just stayed home. Do you have a percentage of how many voted, for example, Purdue wins by 88,000, and I told you about the, Repo the Republican consolidated candidate would get 50,000 more votes, and Trump loses by 11,000 votes in the state. How many people and, and just voted for Biden? 100,000 votes less than Biden. Yeah. Um, I have not seen a breakout that that can look at a, on a party basis uh, how many Trump voters you know chose split their ticket specifically voting against or not voting for the president, but you can see that David Perdue outpolled the president. So 
there there is distaste in certain places. I would suggest predominantly suburban Republican women who either didn't vote at all or voted for Joe Biden. So the phone call yesterday went on for an hour. They uh, the Washington Post spliced together four and a half minutes in an effort to make uh, Trump look as bad as possible. But overall, without a lawyer handy, I heard Donald Trump say to say to on that phone call basically the same way he talked to me three weeks ago at the Army Navy game. I won the election. Uh, I, I there's fraud everywhere. Uh, they definitely uh, they cheated, and I want you to go prove it. And basically, this is the cut that everybody's talking about, cut 16. They are shredding ballots, in my opinion, based on what I've heard. And they are removing machinery, uh, and they're moving it as fast as they can, both of which are criminal fines, and you can't let it happen, and you are letting it happen. You know, I mean, I'm notifying you that you're letting it happen. So, look, all I want to do is this. I just want to find... Eleven thousand seven hundred and eighty votes, which is one more than we have, because we won the state. So, what's your take on how that's resonating locally? We're not going to have a poll before election day, but I would say, based on the traffic and what people are saying today, and what you're seeing on social media, it's obviously a divided, heated argument. But I would say it's potentially more crippling to the party, and certainly to this president than the Access Hollywood tape. Um, the difference here is the whole hour is out there. It's not just the four minutes that the Washington Post or others put out. And if you listen to the whole hour, the president sounds a little unhinged. He continually talks about winning Georgia by half a million votes. He was never even more than 350. I was there all election night. He led by, at max, 350,000 votes at about 10, 1030 as Metro County started to come in because the rural vote always comes in first. There's fewer votes to count. The, the lead started to shrink, and it shrank throughout the night. And then on Wednesday, as they got heavily into only the absentees left, the lead reversed, and Joe Biden pulled ahead initially by 15,000. And then in the two recounts and the hand audit we've had since, uh, that lead that Joe Biden has had has, has dropped by another 3,000 and change votes that came off primarily from absentees that had not yet been scanned in four counties. You so believe that's that was, not factually accurate. Do, do you I don't believe, believe any ballots? That bill, there was a problem with this election in Georgia. I, I do believe there were fraudulent ballots cast. We had five million ballots cast. I do believe in the three hundred million across the country. I don't believe fifteen, twenty, or a hundred thousand fraudulent ballots were cast. And the challenge is to prove that. So there's allegations about the equipment being moved. None of the Dominion Voting Services machines or scanners have been moved. They're all going to be used tomorrow on election day. There's allegations that the drives have been removed. It's not drives that come out of them. The memory cards in those individual uh, closed-loop machines are tallied at the precinct level. The memory cards and then the paper ballots then later go to the county. That's That transmission has happened, but there's a fully secure chain of custody. I've watched the eight-hour overnight shift of the ballot tabulation in the Fulton County Government Center and you know, played out. We can talk about, as you have time, all the different conspiracy theories relative to that. Um, I know a lot of the election officials personally, many of whom are nonpartisan career appointees, bureaucrats who really take their job seriously and who've now counted these ballots three times. Uh, are there hundreds of uh, people that maybe have moved out of state since they voted but not changed their registration? Yeah. I mean, we've got members of Congress who live in Washington, D.C., but who consider themselves and pay taxes legal residents of Georgia. Um, the law is not very specific and detailed 
other than having to be a resident of Georgia with proof of such identification, utility bills, et cetera, 30 days prior to an election. We could change that, but Georgia has historically been a very open and welcoming state. We gain about 100,000 new residents a year. That's great for economic development on a host of different levels, but certainly causes pause and concern when you're heading into a closely contested election where people think foreigners from, from other states are coming here to influence our politics. Interesting times. Uh, Bill, we'll hope to talk to you again this week. It's going to be an interesting election. Uh, again, we'll have a big turnout, and we'll see if all the theories are correct, and we'll see if Republicans step up to the plate. I'm always here for you, Brian. I may be a bit, bit sleep-deprived and mumbly, but if you need me, I'll be there. You're as clear as a bell. Uh, Bill Crane, thank you so much. Take care. Of WSB Radio. We're happy to be a privilege to be an affiliate there at WSB TV as well. That's Bill, who knows the granular stuff on the ground. So, what do you think about what he thinks? 1 866 408 7669. When we come back, what song has got Blake Shelton in trouble? Giving you everything you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. talk show that's getting you talking you're with brian kilmeade so there's this big debate about minimum wage in this country i think they want to make it uh 15 dollars or it's 725 now maybe that's a little low i don't know i what i what i think about uh when it comes to minimum wage and they believe that joe biden's going to get his first unanimous vote on that because so many republicans think they should vote on it is i think small business owners should have a vote in it It will literally destroy restaurants across the country. It will destroy those small businesses across the country who want to give their people uh, money that they can afford to keep their business going. You could always choose to go somewhere else if people are paying you less, rather the free market or the state decide. Eight states have raised it up. But, you know, we go back and forth on minimum wage. You can not hate the person and debate it. I think about the owner because I know how hard small business owners, men and women, fight. But I had no idea that this would be a problem. Blake Shelton, the man who can't quite shave down to his skin on The Voice, who is funny, he is uh, approachable, he does a great host, he's a great judge, and I think a sensational musician who now seems to have found the right girl. I know love and I know matches, and they seem to be perfect for each other. The Halleback girl, you know her as, what's her name again? Gwen Stefani. So he writes a song. He says, and the new song is about minimum wage, and he writes, girl, comma, I don't think he says comma in the song, your love can make a man feel rich on minimum wage. Now he is facing backlash for saying bad things about minimum wage, and some of the comments are comical. Given the fact that the coronavirus pandemic has caused many businesses to shut down and put countless Americans out of work, people were quick to take to Twitter to lambast the singer for releasing a song they believe was insensitive. Are you kidding me? He better not apologize. That's my hope. 
please do not apologize for a song that says something about minimum wage when you have all these X-rated lyrics out there talking about doing horrible, crazy things to other people while in sexual relations. No apology ever, but you use the term minimum wage in a context you feel is insensitive. Blake Shelton, please don't apologize if you know him. Please tell him I asked him not to apologize. Do it for the clarinet player that was all junior high in eighth grade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. Uh, We're in the city that, that is sound asleep, that is virtually empty, but we are back broadcasting from here where the only thing rising is crime. And I wish I had better news to report, but I just know that it's time for this state, California, and so many others to expect more from their leadership and come Election Day, really weigh in. And that's what this is about. We have another Election Day. is tomorrow. That's why 2021 is starting really consequentially. That's why you don't see any look back because of the pandemic. You don't even look forwards because we're, we can't look forwards, even to inauguration, because the election's being uh, held up because there's a lot of things that went wrong on November 3rd that just don't sit well with the president uh, and many of you around the country. Great news for us. We're welcoming WATN 1240 AM in Watertown, New York. Welcome in Char- Charleston, South Carolina. We have a brand new affiliate. We're privileged to have WTMA and also WXQW AM in Mobile, Alabama. So we're spreading out south and up New York, upstate New York. It's great news. So before we get to Brit Hume, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I'm telling you that things are changing. 1.5 million doses in the last 72 hours. That's meaningful change. And uh, I, I, we're working with the governors. We're working with everyone to make sure we improve upon this process. Uh, there you go. That is the Surgeon General Adams. COVID-19 vaccine. Four million have it. 200 million need it. What were you doing to speed up the process and why some say they still won't take it? Number two. We have an obligation to protect the integrity of the democratic system. We will together object to certification in order to force the appointment of an emergency uh, electoral commission to perform an emergency audit of the election results. Wow, uh, that was surprising. Senator Ted Cruz, once the president's greatest critic, he wouldn't even endorse him at the convention. Now he is leading the charge to keep him in office. The last desperate gasp to overturn the presidential election has the president, though, in hot water after a phone call and Ted Cruz leading the perplexing legal challenge. Talk to Britt Hume about that. Number one. Republicans did pretty well in the November 3rd elections, all things considered, except at the top, right? They gained seats in the House. And so to lose these two Georgia seats in a state that, frankly, is still pretty Republican, even if it's trending now more Democratic than it had been in the past, would be a pretty big blow. 
Peter Baker uh, of the New York Times, Georgia, America turns their angry, nervous eyes to you as we get to elect two more senators tomorrow. Two Dem wins and they get the Senate. What the chances of that will happen, we'll examine. Britt Hume is uh, there. Britt Baer is coming on at the bottom of the hour. Uh, who replaced Britt Hume, and there's no bitterness. It was a friendly handoff. Remember those days, Britt, when there were friendly handoffs between power brokers, <laughs> power players? Yes, I remember them very well. It doesn't seem that long ago, but uh, maybe far away. Well, you didn't set up a stack table on, a, on, the, on the C-SPAN side of your building and try to take down Brett Baird, did you? No, I, well, I, I, didn't, I didn't do a protest. <laughs> uh, I didn't call anybody at Fox and ask them to, to uh, reconsider uh, and uh, challenge the uh, decision. Um, I was, I, besides that, Brian, I was 65 years old. It was time for me to go. <laughs> but you're getting younger. Every time I see you on TV, you look younger. Uh, but it, but I Good haircuts. <laughs> That's true. Um, where you get that budget, I'm not sure. I got to try this freelance thing. Uh, or, excuse me, contributor thing. Um, hey, Britt. So you're a pretty busy man. Well, it's just it's fun being able to talk about this, especially when I go to someone with all your experience. I can say we've never been down this road before. Uh, when you see 12 other senators line up behind Ted Cruz and said, give me a 10-day pause to examine what happened in six battleground states, what do you think, Britt? I think it's a waste of time and energy. Um, it's. I don't think it's going to make any difference. I don't think it's going to happen. Um, and I think it's important to keep in mind that that uh, this this whole protest period here with the president and his allies uh, trying to ultimately re- reverse the result of the election has made a lot of news. But I don't think it's made any real difference. Um, I think the certification. Uh, has gone forward. Uh, the inauguration will go forward. Joe Biden will be the president, whether we like it or not, and and that's how it's going to go down. And these are and what we're seeing from this. The president is the death rattle of his presidency. It seems it, and there's a lot he. And when you look at his accomplishments in one term, when you look at the 74 million votes despite impeachment and a two-year-long investigation, I mean, we're in the middle of it. We feel like we're in the middle of it. Uh, so it's hard to examine it. And still he was able to get 74 million votes despite getting the coronavirus, not being able to campaign his greatest strength. It's like Steph Curry not being allowed to shoot but told to win a game for the uh, Warriors. But he was able to only for about a week of uh, steady campaigning. But for people to get upset that the president's protesting is to have short-term memory loss. Remember this four years ago. Every citizen of this country who is registered to vote should be guaranteed that their vote matters, that their vote is counted. I raise these objections because I am convinced that we, as a body, must conduct a formal and legitimate debate about election irregularities. So, I mean, that was Barbara Boxer and Congresswoman Tubbs uh, standing up and having to be gaveled down by then Vice President Joe Biden. There were protests back then. Hillary Clinton still really never accepted that she lost. Barack Obama made her call. So we shouldn't pretend that this is the only this is the first time somebody was upset about losing. No, it's true. There have been protests in the past. None quite so conspicuous as this one. And none that that, that has that one went for all the sound they made in those two sound bites. It went absolutely nowhere. And this is, is, as I say, it made a lot of news, but hasn't really made any difference. So let's talk about Georgia. Do you think that the controversy with the phone call, which I'll play a little bit later, uh, where the president talked for an hour to the secretary of state to say, listen, I won that state and here's why. Can you go prove it? 
when he did that and the fact is the president coming back there talking about his election, do you think that has hurt Purdue and Leffler? I don't think it's helped. Um, the problem with the president in this situation, as in nearly every other situation, is that he can't see past himself. So whether somebody is a good public servant or a bad public servant in his eyes always comes down to the question of whether whether that person is helping him, Trump. And, you know, for the longest time as president, he was doing things to gain approval that were also things that were profoundly good for the country, the strengthening of the economy, the, 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 you know, the peace deals in the Middle East. The list goes on. It's quite long. The achievements are numerous. Now, though, um, well, I don't think it's going to make any difference in the end. All this noise he's making, it seems to me, is it, it's a problem for this reason, that it, that it, that his base consists of a certain hardcore. They will be with him whatever he does in perpetuity. But the but the rest of his vote, which was considerable, is made up of Republicans who are Republicans first and and Trump supporters second. And when and if if the Republicans lose these two seats in Georgia, it is likely to be seen that Trump was a major cause of it. And that I think will demolish. Uh, or could demolish any future hope he has of making a comeback in 2024. Huge was Senator Purdue said yesterday, who, by the way, has to quarantine because he was next to somebody who tested positive, cut 13. I don't think it's really going to affect our election. I'm still shocked that a member of the Republican Party would tape a sitting president and then leak that. It's disgusting in my view. But what the president said is exactly what he's been saying the last few months, and that is that or the last two months anyway, we've had some irregularities in the election in November, and he wants some answers. He has not gotten them yet from our Secretary of State. It's one reason why I asked for them to resign. So, you know, he's right about that. Number one, I cannot believe every this this, this gets leaked. Does that stun oh, you? Can. You can? A yeah, Republican sure. Secretary of State leaking on the Republican we, president? We, we, well, here's the, what the what this Republican president was doing was was not illegal in my opinion, but it is highly improper. He has been insulting this guy. He's been and he's been pressuring him. You heard Purdue there um, say, noting that he has called for the guy's resignation. In my opinion, Raffensperger has behaved correctly at every turn, and and so. The president's pressuring of him was improper, and it should have come to light. And I'm glad it did. Here, here's a, uh, here's what the, a little of the hour-long conversation. Cut 17. The people of Georgia are angry. The people of the country are angry. And there's nothing wrong with saying that, you know, uh, that you've recalculated. Because uh, the 2,236 and absentee ballots, I mean, they're, they're all exact numbers that were, were done by accounting firms, law firms, etc., and even if you cut them in half, cut them in half, and cut them in half again, it's more votes than we need. So I'm not sure what he's going with in terms of his numbers, but that's exactly what the president sounds in front of the microphone. I talked to him three weeks ago. That's exactly what he was saying at the Army Navy. But, but, but there's a difference between that, uh, Brian, of complaining that he sh- that he thought the votes were there and and should have been counted in his favor, and telling the guy who's in charge of the vote count down there to recalculate and to find him. He, elsewhere in that conversation, he talked about, I need you to find me you know, however many thousands of votes it was. That, I'm sorry, that, that, that doesn't cut it. <laughs> Don't get mad at me, Brett. <laughs> it sounds like you're mad at me. I didn't do it. I'm not, I'm, I'm not mad at all. <laughs> you're I'm just, fired I'm up. Just, uh, 
Well, I'm just saying what I think. I know, and which is good. But I'm concerned that you're going to leave your A game with me, and America's going to hope to see you on television with makeup tonight. And you said, well, I told Brian Kilmeade earlier today. You're going to have, do you feel compelled ever, if you're going to make the same point to say, as I told Brian Kilmeade earlier, because we could use the publicity for the show? Well, I could use the association with you to uh, help me with the people who now hate me. <laughs> if I, say, I was on with Brian Kilmeade earlier. He and I are friends. We've been pretty tight. We've known each other for years. Right. Go back to the 70s. <laughs> me, me, you, and Peter Jennings having scotch. <laughs> Which, I can, yeah, well, I can remember when you, and you, were, when you were a sportscaster. Right. I, I started doing sports. <laughs> and by the way. I, I got to tell you, you've become, you have really become knowledgeable about all this stuff. I'm into it. Thank you for saying that. But yeah, I will you say are. this. You're into it. You're writing books and I don't know what all the most famous guys on the channel. Really? Um, I like to be able, I like to be able to tell people I know him. We're pretty good friends. Does it get you into clubs? Uh, well, it keeps you from getting tossed. <laughs> so, Britt, I want to ask you something just on sports. By any chance, did you watch Sunday Night Football last night? I have just been watching it replayed. Okay. Uh, and when you called, I was watching it. So, so check I this out. I did watch Sunday Night Football. The, the, uh, it's very exciting. So, so to, see this, to see this Washington team, which has had so much adversity, do so, so really so well. You and Alex Smith coming back after that horrible leg injury, and these guys you never heard of playing well. Exciting. Okay, so that's from the Brit Hume perspective, and I appreciate Washington's story. By the way, Ron Rivera, as classy as he gets, the Smith story is as good as anything in sports. We need it. However, I'm going to be a Giant fan because it turns out I am and not be a sportscaster. So I'm not saying the Giants at 6-10 and 10 ever belong in the playoffs, but they beat Dallas. All they need is for the Eagles to beat Washington. The Eagles are trailing 17-14, fourth and five. Fourth and five. They don't kick the field goal, and then they take out their starting quarterback, put in a guy who hasn't played in four years. And can you honestly believe that the Eagles didn't roll over for your Washington football team? I don't think the Eagles are teams that I've watched through the years, including the one this year, um, and they don't roll over for anybody. I can't. I, I, well, having said that, I will also say I cannot account for the decision not to go for that field goal to tie the game. And I don't know why in the world you take uh, this great rookie quarterback they've got out of the game and put a, put a, a veteran in there that, that obviously is you know, second string or third, and uh, that doesn't make any sense to me. So, Britt, there was nothing there with the Mueller report. I don't believe the president should have uh, been impeached for the Ukrainians' call, but we do have to get our investigative team on this Eagle story. Can you get Britt Hume and Brett Baer to use your power to get Eric Sean and uh, Jennifer Griffin on this Eagle story because it's not fair to the Giants? Can you do that for me? I don't need to. I've already got Bob Woodward on it. Oh, you got Bob Woodward. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Being that Trump is not calling him anymore, he's got some free time. Yeah, right. you can read a whole book about it. Right. Hey, Britt, thanks so much. I look forward to yeah, this Brian, uh, good coverage. Good to talk to you, my friend. And thanks so much for the comments. Uh, Britt, you, one eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. So I don't mean – I'm not saying the Giants – if the Giants were 10 and 6, I would be outraged. I, I'm, I'm glad they're going to get a high pick. But I've never seen anything in my life like that, ever, ever. The guy hadn't played in four years. You're within three points in the game, and you take out your, your next-generation quarterback that you benched your $25 million quarterback to put in. Back in a moment. 
Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. To have been able to have five vaccines in phase three trials, two approved, probably one more to be approved in the next four to six weeks, uh, and 20 million doses of vaccines, as we, as we had promised, would be made available to the American people to be immunized with, have been made available. 17 and a half million have been shipped. So that is uh, the head of uh, Operation War Speed, Monsef Saloui, and he was on uh, Face the Nation yesterday. And look, uh, we only got $4 million in. He wanted $20 million at the end of the month. But we're getting about 700, uh, 500 to 750000 a day. We need about a million a day now. We could get there. We're going through Walgreens. We're going through CVS. We're going through Rite Aid. And maybe they have to adjust it. Maybe instead of getting from those places, because they have the refrigerators and they have the, um, the delivery system, Maybe we have people start coming in. Maybe we get off this first responders first, and maybe we go 65 and up first, and they get the first responders who are most vulnerable. For example, if you're a 22-year-old firefighter, you're not somebody that necessarily needs the vaccine. Maybe a 22-year-old nurse, the same thing. Maybe a 62-year-old nurse, yes. So maybe we make it easy and go on seniors. And I think sooner or later we're just going to have people. Because we got to get into many arms as possible. If you take what's happening in the vaccine, stop being a critic and start helping. And I have some people here that have some great systems. No one's to blame here. We never did this before. We can do this quickly. But I think if you look at everybody that had it and beat it with the antibodies, and you look at these vaccines, we got a million in. We got we need much more. Uh, Four million in. We need much more. You realize that this thing could be over quicker than anyone's telling, just on the immunity factor. Terry, listening in Lake City, Florida. Hey, Terry. Hey, Brian. So you and many other reporters are saying that there's no evidence of widespread fraud, that yep. Trump's team has lost every effort in court to prove that. But that's not true. The court hasn't even given them the chance. They haven't had the courage to even hear the case so that evidence can be submitted. It's one thing to lose in court if they even made it that far. You cannot deny that there is more evidence produced in this, in this case than there was of the three years Russian collusion delusion. The DNC was given the opportunity to do all the hearings to the point of impeachment, give the, the Republicans and the people's voice a time in court. Hey, Terry, they've already they've, we've given them over a month. Today, I would love to see 200 affidavits of people, of dead people that voted. I would love to see 200 affidavits of people double voting or being rejected. You're not getting that. And when they get the court, Terry, they don't say the same thing to the judge on threat of perjury that they do to us, but they don't produce the facts. Listen, if they had even in Nevada, for example, that seemed to be the ripest case, there wouldn't have been an issue. Then all of a sudden these other people would have fallen in line, but they've been unable to make the produce this. And in, in Atlanta, excuse me, in Georgia, it's worse. 
It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. You've started this fire, and now you're saying, whoa, look at this. Oh, my God. All these people believe what we told them because you didn't have the guts to tell the truth that this election was fair. Chuck, this fire was started back in uh, you know, January of 2017. People like uh, Mark Zaid, in his tweet, uh, the coup has started first of many steps, rebellion and impeachment to follow ultimately. Uh, this was started when the mainstream media stopped, dropped any pretense of being unbiased and actually chose sides during this election. This fire was started when you completely ignored, for example, our investigation of Hunter Biden. You know, no, no evidence of wrongdoing there, and now we find out after the election, no, there is a fair amount of evidence to the point that we have a real FBI investigation. Senator- that was just a little of the brawl yesterday. As Senator Ron Johnson was one of the few Republicans involved in the, uh, the push for a pause on certifying this election. Yesterday, went on Meet the Press, and from the first minute on, Chuck Todd would not even hear... Uh, what the senator had to say, which is kind of an odd approach to being a host slash anchor. Brett Baer does not have that approach. It's not because I'm about to introduce him to say that. He doesn't. In fact, I saw him on Fox News Sunday filling in uh, for Chris Wallace and didn't have that approach. If you come on, your point of view should be heard. Uh, he's chief political anchor of Fox News, as you know, author of Three Days on the Brink, FDR's daring gamble to win World War II, the good old days. And uh, Brett will be hosting our election coverage with the special election in Georgia now. He comes to us from his old stopping ground. Uh, Brett, not many people know you were you were basically have that bureau named after you. That's where you really <laughs> cut your teeth, right? Is it the Brett Bear uh, uh, Bureau the in Memorial Atlanta? Bureau? No, yeah. I don't know. It's uh, but it did start uh, just after Fox started in my apartment, right behind the three dollar cafe in really? Buckhead, uh, and with a fax machine and a cell phone. That's is that true? We had no bureau. It's true. No bureau. I hired freelance uh, photographers and uplinked to the mothership in New York. And uh, and then we built from there and got crews and a bureau chief and everything else. But, yeah, it was in my apartment, which is a couple miles from where I am at the Georgia World Congress Center. So how has it changed now that you're back there for a few days? I mean, I'm not saying you haven't been back before, but does it look like the same city to you? Because they said they add 100000 a year in Georgia. It's it's insane. First of all, downtown is is much different. It's like reconstruction, reconstructed and and big. And you know we're in the middle of by the Mercedes Stadium, and uh, it's it's massive. But the thing about Atlanta that people don't really fully appreciate is how wide it is. How it goes miles and miles in every direction. That's technically the metropolitan Atlanta area. So when you talk about votes. Um, more than 55% of the registered voters in Georgia come from the metro Atlanta region, which is pretty stark if you think about a big state like Georgia. Yeah, and before we get into this little uh, brawl with Senator Ron Johnson on that, uh, they were telling me that about 20,000 to 30,000 Republicans in Atlanta just didn't show up to vote last time. Obviously, that could make a difference. It would have made a difference for the president. Definitely. You know, and you're hearing a lot about new voters coming in, about young people, and there are. uh, I think there's 75,000 to 100,000 who have registered since the election, uh, some of them because they're of age after after November 3rd. But you're also going to see, I think, Republicans 
who sat, sat out uh, maybe being more engaged. That's a real question mark, and, and turnout with any election is really where, what it comes down to. So just on, and we'll bounce back to this, but I just want to finish with uh, Senator Ron Johnson was on Taking Heat and Meet the Press yesterday because he joined about about a dozen Republican senators and over 100 House members in saying, hey, let's have this uh, 10-day pause. We can examine what happened in six separate states. And they should go back to 1874 uh, with the fact that uh, Rutherford B. Hayes ended up cutting a deal in a similar situation, and we didn't have a President Tilden because of that. We don't have troops in South Carolina or Florida to remove, so I'm not sure we can play that chip. Uh, this time. But a lot of people think this is a bridge too far, like, for example, Liz Cheney in a 21 page memo. And, for example, Tom Cotton, who wants an investigation but doesn't want this. Yeah. So a couple of things. Historically, for some reason, I'm, I'm a nerd on this, but uh, uh, historically, that commission set up in 1876 for Rutherford B. Hayes and Samuel Tilden, dealt with three disputed states that didn't certify their electors. So they went past the certification date. They did not officially certify them. So they had three states that were kind of up in the in the air, and that's where that commission was started. They do do a deal, and they eventually find the electors uh, electoral votes for Hayes to beat Tilden by one electoral vote. The difference with this is that all 50 states certified their election results on time by December 14th. Um, the role by constitutionally of Congress is to accept those. Um, it is not to question the certification that that comes done by each individual state. So that's where you're going to see the constitutional folks uh, and you've already seen like Ken Buck in Colorado and others say, constitutionally, this is not our role. Now, back to Ron Johnson. I think he makes some excellent points to Chuck Todd about why Trump voters, not only about what Trump is tweeting and saying about the vote, but also are just skeptical about all of this, considering where we've been since 2017 in a series of things that were clearly meant – to get Trump out of office. And um, the problem for them is that they've had all of this time since November 3rd in multiple court cases around the country to make that case. Well, what people have said to me, and most of the callers are, I agree with you, most of the callers are against me saying that I don't like this challenge. I worry about more about the process and the next challenge. I worry about the next election where the other party wins and they get challenged and they win the presidency and they get challenged and no one believes the electoral system again. And Democrats will turn around and go, yeah, you know what? No more I think of it. You're right. Let's get rid of the electoral college. And I'm not sure Republicans want that verdict. So Tom Cotton was one of the well, people. they won't win again. They I will mean, never win again. Yeah. It would be New York and California that decide elections because, you know, the Wyoming's and the you know, Utah's uh, would would not would be overwhelmed. Oh, uh, yeah, they uh, they'll be invisible. So so the president tweeted this out when Tom Cotton came out and said, I want investigation, but I don't want this. The president just tweeted this out. How can you certify an election when the numbers being certified are verifiably wrong? You can you will see the real numbers tonight during my speech, but especially on January 6th. I guess he's making a speech because he asked all Trump supporters to come to Washington this week. So there's going to be um, there's going to be demonstrations there. We we imagine peaceful. They usually are uh, as long as other things don't happen. And he went on to say Republicans have put Tom, at Tom Cotton 
Uh, Republicans have pluses and minuses, but one thing is for sure, they never forget. So he's giving a warning shot on Tom Cotton for not going along with this. And this is where it gets, you know, dangerous, I think. Not dangerous in a physical sense, but dangerous in a, a political sense in what the president is doing to the party. And Tom Cotton is a very staunch ally of, of Trump's, and he's saying constitutionally he can't he can't do what he's doing. And I explained there are other Republicans just looking at the strict rules of the Constitution about how a challenge goes. That said, you know, the numbers, he keeps on teasing the numbers like we're going to get the wait, just wait till you see the real numbers. Well, what has happened in all of these court cases? Sixty one of them. Um, and the Trump campaign at times before Trump appointed judges, you know, was asked for specific evidence of voter fraud or differences in the vote that could change the vote tallies in these states and came up with nothing. Um, you know, there are some cases that did not, in fact, uh, give them standing. That is true, but not all cases. And I, I think that carries weight, the 60-plus court cases. That's how this is adjudicated. And people say, well, the judges aren't hearing them. They said because not enough there. And when they go in front of the judge, they're not saying the same thing they say to the media. And I'm wondering where Bill Stepien is. I'm where Pam Bondi is. I'm wondering where David Bossy is. Where are these people that have been there every step? Bill Stepien got paid a ton of money. So if the election was fraudulent and the president needs some help here, where are you? Yeah. And frankly, I mean, I assume and there's a, a couple of things that can happen. I mean, he's on vacation and unplugging his phone, or he is not standing by some of the stuff that's being said publicly. And uh, you heard in this call with the Georgia Secretary of State, the president kind of listing all of these things. And one by one, the Georgia Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger, saying, no, that's not true. That's not accurate. We found two dead people who voted. We went back and checked and blah, blah, blah. So at some point, you have to get to ground truth here. And yes, people have a lot of doubt, a lot of concerns about not only the media, but elected officials. Um, but you can investigate, but you've got to be able to produce the facts. And he's saying we're going to see it on January 6th, but that's 14 days before the inauguration. I talked to a senator last night, and he told me that he asked Rudy Giuliani, just show me 200 dead people that voted, and that'll be enough. I'll I'll hold him in my hand, and I'll say if 200, that's got to be 200,000. We have to fight this. And Rudy says, I'll give it to you today. And it's, it's almost 12, and nothing yet. So... I don't think he has him. And I worry, um, I, I just worry that the president's been led to an area because he's trusting people and he's led into an area that's going to make him look uh, bad. We'll see. Or he's going to an area on his own without any legal backing. We don't know yet. But I know one thing. There's a lot of stuff, Brian, online. A lot of stuff from, you know, all kinds of different places and some that are getting increased, you know, eyeballs that are just wrong. They're just bad pucks. And we got to stop the bad pucks from getting through, not because we're not investigating it, 
Because there is right and wrong, and I'm telling you, there's a lot of bad stuff out there. All right, so tell me what's happened on the ground. I could read a poll and say the president, it looks like both Republicans are trailing by within the margin of error. Uh, it looks like the last poll I saw in the New York Times has uh, Leffler down four points to the Reverend Ra- uh, Raphael Warnock, which blows me away. Not that he's not talented, but he's so left-wing. I can't imagine him resonating with the majority of Georgians. You would know better. You live there. And then you have uh, David Perdue, won by 88,000 votes. Uh, you know, he could be trailing. And now he's quarantined because he got contact a contact trace, perhaps. So do you sense that Republicans are about to get uh, upset in both races? Yeah, I can't say that yet. I do think Democrats had a couple of good weeks, in part because the president kind of boxed in these two candidates on a couple of different issues. But um, but that said, uh, while Joe Biden won here narrowly, Georgia, if Republicans show up, uh, probably gets these two candidates across the finish line. I'm not buying into the polls. Uh, I just uh, maybe it's shell shock from November, but. I think you're at a plus three, four Republican uh, undercount. And so you put that in there, it's it's right at a, a narrow margin. Um, I, I've talked to Purdue. He's going to be on special report tonight. Uh, I, I think he feels like the North Georgia, whether they show up or not, which is why the president's going out to Dalton tonight. Yeah, let's see uh, if the speech is probably important. I mean, it's so easy to see. Uh, of course, everything can happen. But uh, the president goes if he if he's out on January 20th and he seems to be, then you win Georgia first, then you help get back the House. And then the momentum you have, because the policies you put together, if indeed as successful as they seem to be prior to the pandemic, there's going to and Joe Biden starts putting together some of the things that uh, did not work under eight years under Barack Obama. The country will be primed to welcome him back. But go ahead, go on a winning streak. Have the power, but not the responsibility. There are some pluses to not being in office, uh, but yet having a track record to run on and maybe making history again. But I want you to hear Stacey Abrams. You know what? It's it's important how the dismount happens. Like, it's important that it doesn't – it's not a, a flaming comet, you know, hitting the earth. Uh, it, it, for political purposes, how the dismount happens – I think affects 2024. No, no, I, I hear you. Uh, no doubt about it. It's going, I think, terribly. Uh, it's not, I think, what the public wants to see, especially in the middle of a pandemic. We need cooperation. And I don't see this being the successful dismount. But the president could begin to change that by uh, by if these candidates, well, at least one of the two, prevailing. I want you to hear what Stacey Abrams said yesterday, when people complain about President Trump, she should be the last one to complain about President Trump. She was That question was brought to her yesterday on This Week with George Stephanopoulos, which was without George Stephanopoulos. Cut five. Well, it's not simply different circumstances. It's apples and you know bowling balls. These are all things we proved both in court and we sought remedies to. By contrast, President Trump has lost every single one of his challenges in the state of Georgia, and he has no evidence. In fact, an audit, the fourth, I think, of this election, found that there was zero fraud in our signature match process. One person accident or inadvertently signed for her husband against the rules, but otherwise we know that the signatures match and that the process works. Do you think it's apples and bowling balls? No, it's definitely fruit. Um, it's a little different, but it's, um, 
But listen, she never conceded. You know, I mean, you had Democrats around the country saying that she's the governor of Georgia. Uh, so, I mean, come on. So I think that's kind of crazy. I do hear what she says about the recounts, but important to note that the signature match was in one county. It's in Cobb County, not in Fulton County, and that's where the Trump team really wants the signature match to happen. Um, and obviously they also would love the governor to call a special session, which he's not going to do, uh, which he essentially said last night um, on, on our show. I think uh, Stacey Abrams has a lot to take credit for in changing the dynamic in Georgia, registering new right. voters, empowering uh, the black vote. I mean, she has done quite a bit. Uh, but what she has not done is conceded that last election. And real quick, uh, we're up against a break, but the all-star panel event benefiting Children's National Hospital is going to be virtual this year. It'll be February 13th. Tickets are $200. I'll be, I'm lucky enough to be there with you. Shannon Bream, Charles Payne, Emily Campagno. Uh, and you can get tickets at allstarpanelevent at gmail.com. So we're going to do a virtual panel for everyone that wants to give to the Children's National Hospital uh, which has done great things for so many, including your son, Paul. Yeah, and he's doing great after his fourth open heart surgery. Yeah, allstarpanelevent.com or the Gmail, um, and we'll have the panel. We're going to have special performances and an amazing auction that you have stuff that you cannot get in place else. Brett Baer, good luck tonight, tomorrow, and hopefully election week goes great for you. Brett, thanks so much. All right. See ya. All right, uh, back with you in a moment. Newsmakers and newsbreakers, hear it first, only on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, uh, welcome back, everyone. I went a little bit long in that, uh, but uh, just keep in mind... Uh, that there's so much going on right now. There's no moving parts. There's so many moving parts. There's no right or wrong answer. You have to be a constitutionalist to know what's going on with this electoral college. But just know this. We have to go out of our way to preserve the electoral college and preserve our way of doing things in America. If there were corruption is taking place, we got to make sure it stops. Just like we fixed Florida, any problems in Ohio, we got to fix the rest of these states and make them ironclad from here on in. We're all going to know about these voting machines. We're all going to know about the technology. We're all going to know about the Internet. We're all going to know about certification. We're going to be much more learned voters this time. Brian Kilman. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him. You love him. You want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, we're coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. We've got a big hour coming your way. We're going to be joined by Dr. Ahmed, uh, Dr. Kanta Ahmed, who is uh, working hard at the front lines of this coronavirus. We're going to talk about the vaccine, who's getting it, and how it's being distributed. We know it's off to a slower start than we thought, but my sense is it's a rubber band pulled back as we get used to putting this all in place and the vaccines are getting to where they're supposed to get. I believe we're going to start really uh, accelerating, and I'm not looking to criticize I'm looking to find out what's happening. So much there. 
and, and time cannot be wasted. And Michael Goodwin on the president's last gasp, last push on his uh, his reelection. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I'm telling you that things are changing. 1.5 million doses in the last 72 hours. That's meaningful change. And uh, I, I, we're working with the governors. We're working with everyone to make sure we improve upon this process. Well, there we go. Just as I was discussing the COVID-19 vaccine, 4 million avid, 200 million needed. What we are doing to speed up the process. Let's talk about it. Number two. We have an obligation to protect the integrity of the democratic system. We will together object to certification in order to force the appointment of an emergency uh, electoral commission to perform an emergency audit of the election results. Wow. Uh, Last desperate gasp to overturn the presidential election. Has the president in hot water as he had a conversation recorded without his knowledge with the Republican secretary of state in Georgia. Unbelievable. Ted Cruz is leading that perplexing legal challenge that has no hope of success. We're going to look at both issues. Number one. Republicans did pretty well in the November 3rd elections, all things considered, except at the top, right? They gained seats in the House. And so to lose these two Georgia seats in a state that, frankly, is still pretty Republican, even if it's trending now more Democratic than it had been in the past, would be a pretty big blow. Yeah, it would be. And that's why I think the president could pull it out tonight. New York Times' Peter Baker talking yesterday. Georgia, America turns their angry, nervous eyes to you to get to elect two more senators tomorrow. Two damn wins and they get the Senate. What are the chances that will happen? We'll examine it. We're going to examine it right now. Uh, just looking at some of the numbers, the total mail-in votes, almost a million. Total in-person votes, over two million. Total voting, over three million already. What David Perdue and Loeffler need is over 1 million to walk up, most of which are going to be Republican to balance out the early voting. 75,000 new registered voters. Nancy uh, Stacey Abrams says it's way over that. There's others, the other special election combined for nearly 50,000 more votes than the Democrats. That was the other, uh, the other election on November 3rd. We'll see what happens. Last time, Leffler and uh, Collins and others uh, easily beat Raphael Warnock. Now they look too close to call. Last time, 90,000 votes gave more in Purdue's camp than the president got and certainly than John Ossoff got. But they say the gap is closed. And the fact that, uh, that David Purdue can't campaign because he's been contact traced is a problem. 22% of the sam- of sample people asked said they will vote on Election Day, which means more than a million will vote uh, on Election Day, which is good news for Republicans. So we'll see how all this goes. Kelly Leffler yesterday, cut two. This is a distraction. This is the Democrats don't want to answer for their radical policies to change America, the radical agenda of Raphael Warnock, and his own, the own fact, his own facts are that he's been involved in a child abuse investigation that he obstructed. He was arrested for obstructing it. He's been involved in a domestic abuse. He won't answer those questions. So that was in response to the fact that she sold stock the day the pandemic hit and everything shut down. She said, I've been investigated. That doesn't stand. Warnock's got a bunch of things that he doesn't have to answer to when the press doesn't push him on. So David Perdue out yesterday, not out, but talking for to Maria on John Ossoff. Ossoff's a documentarian, done a lot of work with China. Cut three. This uh, evolving uh, scandal with John Ossoff is becoming more and more clear that the Chinese Communist Party, as you've called out, has identified young, ambitious young people in America to try to influence. 
you know, you see the Eric Swalwell crisis right now. You see the Hunter Biden scandal. And now we see the evolving John Ossoff problem that he has with China. He was paid by them for two years. He's been encouraging people to follow the Chinese propaganda. So that's what he's been pushing on with uh, David Perdue. He's trade more stocks than anybody else. You're allowed to do that. But they want to say, look how rich he is. I don't know if you have a 401k, you understand the stock market. So one thing that's pretty crazy is how much money is involved in this race. It's way overdone. Money does not buy you victories or else the uh, Democrats wouldn't be within nine votes of losing the House and would have gotten the Senate outright because they have much more money. Jake Tapper, to his credit yesterday, who gives usually his people walks in the park, one thing that Ossoff said he just could not take, cut for. And it's even more distressing that this isn't an isolated incident. Kelly Leffler has repeatedly posed for photographs and been seen campaigning alongside radical white supremacists. And I believe they're drawn to her campaign. All right, but just to be clear, she was not campaigning with a Klansman. That wasn't true, what you said. She wasn't. He happened to take a picture with her. You take a picture with a lot of people. Um, and can you imagine running for Senate? You don't want to turn anyone down, especially a voter. So that was good that he stopped that in his tracks. Overall, Stacey Abrams has done work in loosening up restrictions when it comes to signature verifications, of getting the word out to minority communities, which sadly Republicans haven't done a good job going out and recruiting on. Chris Christie weighed in yesterday. While he doesn't think the president, he wanted the president to win, he doesn't think the president's approach to all this is right, he does see Georgia going Republicans' way. Cut eight. In Georgia, I believe both Republicans um, will be elected to the seats and keep a, a Republican majority for three reasons. One, if you look at David Perdue's performance on Election Day, um, a November election, he got nearly 62 percent of the two-party vote. Two, Republican, the Republican Party in Georgia and from around the country started knocking on doors, masked and socially distanced the weekend after the general election. And they've been doing it ever since. It's been the greatest turnout effort in any state by the Republican Party in history. And third, um, election integrity is going to be watched by over 8,000 certified poll watchers that will be doing that on Tuesday. Those three factors, I think, are the largest factors, along with the quality of the candidates, that will start a new day for the Republican Party next Tuesday when David Perdue and Kelly Loeffler, I believe, will be elected uh, to the Senate and keep a Republican majority. The vice president's going to be there today. Joe Biden's going to be there tonight, as will the president of the United States. The president will get a much bigger crowd. Uh, Air Force One will be uh, landing around 7, uh, 8 o'clock Eastern. He'll take the stage. He'll talk for a couple of hours. He'll talk about his own election fortunes. But his election and his legacy is going to be tied to Leffler and Purdue, at least one, probably both. And if he can just outline the fact that they are for defunding the police, if he can outline the fact that they are for uh, essentially adding two states to the union, if he can outline the fact that they're going to get rid of the filibuster, outline the fact that the new Green Deal will become a reality, that he's going to cut defense in a state that has the fourth most military members in the entire union, that's that's the message that the president needs to relay, like only he can. And just say, when you vote for them, you vote for me. If he does that, I really believe they win. If he just says, I want you to see Leffler and David Perdue can't be with us uh, because he's quarantining, vote for them tomorrow. But let me tell you what happened on November 3rd. I think that's a mistake. And I think he likely will lose maybe both races in light of the fact that that tape came out showing him uh, going at it with the Secretary of State, who's a Republican. I don't care where you stand. I'm sure most of you, like me, I think the president absolutely believes to his fiber of his being, 
to his the mononucleosis in his cell that he, uh, mitochondria, I should say, uh, in his cell, he believes he won the election. And that's what came out in those tapes. But if you combine all these things with the controversy, with them ripping apart the governor and the secretary of state, that could be the thing that balances out things and maybe pulls off this upset. Next, on what Ted Cruz is trying to do. Essentially, what Ted Cruz is trying to do is put together a, a, a committee to look for 10 days at some of the election discrepancies in six separate states. This is not unprecedented. It happened in 1876, at which time Tilden and Rutherford B. V. Hayes were having an electoral issue. They were deadlocked. It was right after the Civil War, uh, a decade after the Civil War. America was still on tender hooks. And then you realize we have a disagreement here. And the electorals started defecting, and they ended up cutting a deal in order to fight another day. They put together a commission back then. They used the chief justice and the speaker. If they put John Roberts and Speaker Pelosi together, are you going to tell me that's going to work out for the president of the United States? Plus, how are you going to look at what happened in six states and overturn an election in that time? Maria asked him, uh, Ted Cruz, what is the end game with this? And wh- what's going to happen in the end? Cut 24. Well, th- then the results have to be set aside. If there's evidence of fraud and it's substantial and significant enough to ex- affect the results in a particular state, then, th- then those election results would have to be set aside. And, and, and the states would then have to determine, all right, we have a valid claim here. The evidence supports it. We need to conduct elections consistent with the law. OK, we'll see how that goes. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. That'll happen on January six. We'll see how many support it. Uh, most of you do. I don't think it's the best move forward. Uh, when we come back, uh, we're going to be joined by Dr. Kanta Ahmed. We have to find out what's happening with the vaccine and getting our lives back to normal. She knows. Expanding your knowledge base. It's Brian Kilmeade. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm telling you that things are changing. 1.5 million doses in the last 72 hours. That's meaningful change. And uh, I, I, we're working with the governors. We're working with everyone to make sure we improve upon this process. I don't want anyone to think I'm being Pollyanna-ish here. There's what we delivered, and we hope that those will be translated into vaccinations. That has not occurred uh, the, to the way that we would like. But as Tony Fauci has said, this was always going to be the most difficult vaccine rollout in history, even if it wasn't superimposed on a surge in a holiday season. <laughs> But we are picking up the pace a little bit at $4 million. You see the last couple of days have been better. Dr. Kanda Ahmed doesn't need to be explained what things are, what's going on, because she's in the middle of it. She's a pulmonologist at NYU Langone. Dr. Ahmed, welcome back. Uh, thank you, Brian. Happy New Year. Same to you. In New York in particular, which you're witnessing, how are they doing on the vaccine? It's much slower than we expected. I mean, inside NYU Langone, we've already vaccinated over a third of the workforce. So those of us that are in big healthcare systems, frontline workers, where almost all of us are now fully vaccinated. But what we're discovering as physicians is our colleagues that are not in health systems, that are running their own medical practices, or our dentists, the highest risk healthcare workers, 
or are in unaffiliated institutions, there's no means for them to get the vaccine. And at the same time, watching a country, a small country like Israel, vaccinate almost 40 or 45 percent of its over 60 population. The half millionth person to be vaccinated in Israel was Jewish. The one millionth person was Arab. They're racing through it because they're using stadiums. They're doing drive-in vaccinations. They're opening up public spaces. We've had no plan like that in New York. And I would say it's very disappointing because New York was the world epicenter for this pandemic. So we needed to be on, uh, on the ball when this vaccine came. And I think there were a lot of politicians thinking or maybe even hoping that the administration could not deliver a vaccine. And they've been caught flat-footed without a proper response. So a lot of slack to make up. Some places in New York City, they're not vaccinating on weekends. I understand they didn't vaccinate it on Christmas. This is something that needs to be 24-7. And huge manpower has to be recruited. We already have private pharmacies that can vaccinate 100 million people a month in the United States, and they're not yet allowed to give the vaccine. So heads need to roll so that we can get on top of this while we watch California submerge with the virus, while we're seeing reports of the new strain in California, Florida, Colorado, and there's a second new strain coming from South Africa, which is very worrying. So we've got no time to waste. Uh, you don't. And the thing is, they're going through Rite Aid, CVS, and Walgreens because they have the distribu- uh, distribution mechanisms Has that been effective, using the private sector from the federal government to the states? As far as I'm aware, Brian, I don't know that they've been allowed to deliver that vaccine yet, unless there's been some news in the last few hours. So I know that they are ready. And I know that pharmacists not only know how to deliver the vaccine, but also know how to document it. It's not just getting a vaccine. It's also recording it. That's why, for instance, in Israel, the military could not give the vaccine because they couldn't record in the electronic medical records. So there's many steps to this. And certainly the people that are texting me, which are mostly physicians outside of other systems, have not been able to go to a local pharmacy. And they're at the highest risk. We're now telling Americans, please go and see your doctor. If you think you've got COVID, go get screened. And those doctors in many urgent care facilities and private centers can't get the vaccine. So as far as I know, New Yorkers are not getting it at their local Walgreens. That's not, that would be well, news to me. Yeah, I mean, I guess they ship through there, if I'm, if I'm reading uh, Operation Warp Speed correctly. So in the last 72 um, hours... My understanding was that Warp Speed was actually shipping to healthcare centers and hospitals which already had mechanisms for vaccine storage and then had the advanced freezers. But now to get it to a, even to get it to a pharmacy would probably not be difficult. The thing is to get the public to the pharmacy. One physician made a very important comment to me. We've seen zero commercials on the vaccine. We need public messaging. There are many people within the healthcare workforce that are not taking the vaccine because they have the same fears as the public. So there's many missing pieces to this that need to be quickly rectified. 29% of healthcare professionals said they will not take it. What do you people know that we should? You know, I think that you have to think about healthcare workers. Many of them are, are we're all ordinary people. And in fact, my own uh, co-workers, not physicians, I'm not seeing this in the physician body, but non-physician co-workers expressed a lot of fear and they watch me get the vaccine, watch me talk about it on your show, and then understand how safe it is. We need to inspire confidence. But a lot of the health professionals also know how severe and how deadly COVID-19 can be. I think that many obvious barriers were not anticipated. 
We need to give confidence to the healthcare workforce. I say to my colleagues, mm. if we don't take it, how can we expect the public to take now, it? Now, let me ask and you, another Dr. thing that's unnerving us, Brian, okay. is the news from Britain, where they're now spreading out the distance between the two doses, which Pfizer-BioNTech said today there's zero evidence that it's going to be as safe or as effective if you spread out the two shots three months instead of three weeks. And so now I'm worried that there will be another barrier for both health professionals and the public to not want to take the vaccine. Yeah, it's when you do an FDA, according to protocol. Right. If you have an FDA study, you got to do it the way the FDA approved it or it's not going to be effective. That should not even be an issue. I, I don't understand that. I just think that's something beyond our control that I didn't think would be up to see hospitals change. I can understand the frustration, but it's the only thing that got approved, those two shots within three weeks. Why don't right. we have AstraZeneca it's from not happening it? in the United States yet? But people are speaking about the Moderna vaccine in that fashion. And in Britain, they've even done mixing and matching. So I'm getting my colleagues from Britain talking to me about the total pandemonium in this change. We spent a year last year saying the vaccine couldn't come. Nobody could safely approve it. Now we finally got emergency use authorizations in Europe, UK, US. And now we're not following those. It's, it's not something to do with doctors. This is total failure of government leadership and government integrity, both sides of the Atlantic. Yeah, non-doctors can't make the... Well, real quick, 10 seconds. Why don't we have the AstraZeneca? Um, you know what? I don't know why we don't have it yet. I know that our FDA process is always a little bit slower. Um, that right. is also... Uh, we have already pre-purchased massive amounts of Pfizer, BioNTech, uh, over 100 million doses. All right. Uh, I think that hopefully we'll talk next week. They got it down. Dr. Ahmed, thanks so much. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. I think we in Congress have an obligation to do something about that. We have an obligation to protect the integrity of the democratic system. And and so this past week, I spent writing out a position and assembling a group that ultimately of 11 senators that we put out yesterday that we will together object to certification in order to force the appointment of an emergency uh, electoral commission to perform an emergency audit of the election results to to assess these claims of fraud. And that's what Ted Cruz is leading now. Uh, Twelve other senators have joined him, Ron Johnson, Senator Josh Hawley. People have bowed out of it, uh, like Senator Tom Cotton, Senator uh, Roy Blunt. They want no part of it. Susan Collins wants no part of it. Uh, what is the right thing to do going forward as the president fights is really the last gasp until they certify the electors. Uh, and that'll be on January 6th, where he also is calling for people to come to Washington and protest. Michael Goodwin joins us now, wrote about this in his column on Sunday from the New York Post. Michael and Fox News contributor. Michael, welcome back. Do you support Ted Cruz's effort for a 10-day pause? Good morning, Brian. Uh- you know, Brian, I think it's not a bad idea to try to to try to object because here here's the issue that uh, the mail-in ballot process was very strange in in numerous states where the error where the rejection rate where where a ballot is is turned away for various or any issue uh, actually fell despite the lack of safeguards. So I share the sense that 
this election was not conducted fairly and according to rules that would give people trust. Uh, and I think that for Ted Cruz and the others, it's somewhat of a safe position in that they know there is not a majority in either house, and it takes both houses to overturn even a single state. So they can object without consequence. And I think that that in part is the aim, that to say that we don't like this, this doesn't smell right, millions of people clearly don't like this, uh, and we object to it. We would like to have a commission uh, to study it, to take a pause for 10 days, an election commission to study it. And in that, they are following the precedent of 1876. Um, the problem, of course, is that 1876 presents a whole host of questions. I mean, it was just, in the end, a political compromise about Reconstruction and everything else. Pulling troops it out of South Carolina really and Florida. Yes, it was not really a decision based on the merits of the election. Uh, and there's an argument that the law that created this process may itself be unconstitutional because it basically says that the Congress can overturn the votes uh, that people made. So I think there are a lot of problems with it, but there were a lot of problems with this election. And there's got to be some way for people to express their displeasure with how the election was conducted, if only because it ratchets up the pressure on fixing it for the next time. But it's not yeah. going to change anything this time. And I, so I, I don't think there's any real price to the objection. Right. I want you to hear with uh, Governor Mike DeWine, who is a moderate in every sense of Ohio. Cut 25. We're only, what, 17 days away from Inauguration Day. Uh, are there some problems in the system as far as uh, potential fraud or fraud that occurred? <clears throat> yeah, but there's not We've not seen anything that rises to the level that would have changed the outcome of, of, of the election. Uh, I think Senator Portman uh, has a good proposal, and that proposal is to get two very distinguished people in this country, uh, Democrat and Republican, have a commission, and to take a hard look at voter security. And the mail-in balloting has got to be the focus that Jimmy Carter and Jim Baker both said was problematic, but that was 20 years ago. Everybody knows it's problematic. Even the New York Times was writing that years ago. But the hatred for Donald Trump uh, with the excuse of the pandemic uh, be became a way of essentially violating all of the integrity safeguards and removing them that everybody over the years had, had fought over. I mean, the, the most recent fights, Brian, of over signature ID or, or some kind of a, an ID requirement pale next to this issue of mail-in voting, where you don't even have to request a ballot in many states. The ballot gets mailed to you. Yeah, I know. And after, after that, there's simply no chain of custody on ballots. So uh, there's clearly something wrong here. I mean, there are too many instances. Uh, and then to say that there's no proof, I think, is technically true, because the courts have essentially thrown out all of the president's legal team's uh, claims. So th there's got to be some way to deal with, with this lack of integrity of the system. Otherwise, if we go down the road where nobody trusts elections that their side loses, we're really in trouble. So what about this phone call that this uh, Secretary of State of Georgia thought would be a great idea to leak? I, um, 
I just cannot believe you you tape the president of the United States and then leak it out, I guess because he got insulted by the president. He feels he can do that. He also includes Lindsey. He also went after Lindsey Graham in the earlier when he said, hey, check out these machines, and he went to get him report of Lindsey Graham trying to shake him down. I don't know this guy. Uh, Rathlisberger uh, seems like a fine guy. But, man, uh, he might as well be a, a liberal Democrat the way he's talking to the president. and But the president... In you, in my mind, was acting like he always does. This is my way. This is why no happened. Agree with me. If not, you're going to feel his wrath. Here's a little of the phone call that was posted on uh, Washington Post. Cut 18. So so tell me, Brad, what are we going to do? Uh, we won the election, and it's not fair to take it away from us like this. And it's going to be very costly in many ways. And... I think you have to say that you're going to re-examine it, and you can re-examine it, but, but re-examine it with people that want to find answers. He went on, cut 19. You should want to have an accurate election, and you're a Republican. We believe that we do have an accurate election. No, I, no you don't. No, no, you don't. You don't have You don't have Not even close. You got, you're off by hundreds of thousands of votes. So this went on for about an hour. What's your takeaway? Well, look, I, I, first, I think the president, we, ha- we have to credit him with sincerity in the sense that he really believes this election was stolen. I mean, I've talked to him. No you've question. talked to him, Brian. There's no question he believes this. Now, at some point, uh, you have to accept that you're not going to be able to change the results. And so in that sense, I think the call was a mistake. Not necessarily a mistake to make it, but but some of the things the president says essentially find 11,700 votes. Um, say you're going to recalculate it. I mean, in effect, put, trying to put words and ideas into Raffensperger's mouth so that there would be some justification for it. Uh, I think that's a mistake. Uh, I think the president went too far and probably, um, in hindsight, should not have made the call at all if that was his purpose, uh, to, to basically try to persuade him to act. I think if he wanted to lodge a complaint, to ask if there was anything that could be done, was there any possibility that they made mistakes, anything of that nature? But that's not would not be sufficient for the president. He clearly believes it was stolen, so he was going to call and try to get it fixed. Uh, the problem in doing that is you're the president of the United States, and it sounds like you're leaning on a guy and encouraging him to mm-hmm. overturn the the results that were reported and certified. Now, again, you can complain they were not properly certified, that they didn't go mm-hmm. back to the very beginning and challenge the signature app, you know, the signature matches, that sort of thing. But at this stage of the game, I think it, it makes the president look like mm-hmm. he's trying to now rig the results that uh, the state of Georgia says would would be inauthentic in themselves. So it doesn't do the president any credit. I think it undercuts uh, the objectors that we were just talking about in Congress. I think it throws another monkey wrench into the Tuesday runoff elections in, in the Senate in Georgia. So uh, all in all, I think the president hurt himself with that call. So real quick, the lead editorial 
in the in your New York Post talks about Team Cuomo fining nursing homes for missing deadlines up to two thousand dollars a day. Uh, on December twenty first, the health commissioner wrote that he was surprised to learn recently that facilities are being cited for submitting a single survey one minute late. The death tally is officially around 7,400. The true number could be twice that. And he's worried about missing deadlines on paperwork that could lead to vaccine distribution. This is typical Cuomo getting retribution for a huge stain on his terrible report card. I agree with you. I think that all along the governor has been threatening the nursing homes to take away their licenses, uh, saying that uh, we're, you know, that we are inspecting them over the deaths when his policy ordered them to take infected patients uh, without any warning. So yes, this is this is Andrew Cuomo using his power to silence objections. That's what he's doing, and this is his way of punishing them. Uh, you know, if you take away their license, they're out of business. And m- some of these are f- nonprofits; others are profit businesses. So you take away their license, which is your ultimate power as the state. Uh, you investigate them. You you accuse them of all kinds of things. You fine them daily. You fine them thousands of dollars every day. Well, where does that money come from? I mean, it's, it's <laughs> sooner or later, it's kidding. coming from the services they provide. Do they have to lay off nurses in order to pay the fines? Yeah, the Michael, state? do you ever walk into a nursing home? It's not exactly the Four Seasons. You know, no, we- no. And, 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 and they are very lightly regulated in the sense of their staffing yeah. requirements and all of that. And, you know, the whole, the whole thing, Brian, going back to Cuomo requiring them to take infected patients and then blaming them for it, if the state really knew the condition of the nursing homes, would it actually send infected patients there? I mean, I don't think the state even does its own job in terms of making sure that these that all the nursing homes are adequate. I mean, gotcha. when you look at some of these inspection reports that are done, uh, these places are not someone, not a place where you would send one of your loved ones. Mike, so the yeah. state, the state screws up on both ends, and then of course wants to blame the nursing homes. Michael Goodwin, thanks so much. My pleasure. All right, back with you in just a moment. It's Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. That's coming up in a little bit here on the Will Cain Show. Rather, that was instinct. If Brian's listening out there, I'm sorry. I did host my own radio show for two or three years, so I got used to saying that. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show and will always remain so. I'm just honored to sit in his seat today. My name is Will Kane. I'm Jason Chaffetz filling in for Brian Kilmeade. We uh, have to make some adjustments here in the studio, like raising up the microphone when I stand up. The camera's cutting off my head, but, you know, I, I I don't know, freakishly tall at 6'2", I guess, or I'll let you come to your own conclusions. But we're thrilled to have uh, Ben Dominich, who's the publisher of The Federalist, joining us. I'm happy to be with you, though your your intro music there was not Randy Newman's uh, Short People, for some reason, uh, to accompany your, your uh, observations. I am familiar with that song. It's one of the most politically incorrect songs. I went back and listened to it recently. I thought, oh, my goodness. I can't believe that was, like, popular back in the day. Glad you're familiar with it. Otherwise, oh, yeah. that could have gone over your head, though I guess that that would require a little bit of a bigger jump. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> it, it may have gone over Brian's head, but not mine. So I got it. I got it. All right. All right. That was interesting. More to know. Uh, So we're doing more to know now. The great job, uh, Jason Chaffetz and 
Uh, Will Kane filling in. So last week, uh, there was still a lot of news going on, but there's even more to go this week. In fact, let's find out if there's indeed more to know. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-GOLD. All right, that's cool. Oxford Gold Group support. So let's get started with a soundbite. This is Democratic Representative Emanuel Cleaver. Keep in mind, the Democrats are pushing to this gender-neutral program. Everything is get rid of the man or woman in every reference. Some of it doesn't apply, like, for example, here. We ask it in the name of the monotheistic God, Brahma, and God known by many names by many different faiths. Amen and a woman. Amen and a woman. The problem is, this is not a reference to a gender. Cleaver, by the way, who is a reverend or a pastor? He says he was honored delivering the opening prayer. But the problem is, it doesn't mean man or woman. It means a Latin term. Um, it doesn't mean father or mother. It means... So be it. So be it. No reference to gender. Isn't this embarrassing, Allison? It is so ridiculous. It's such a stretch. Um, But it's not surprising. I mean, it's something you would just expect the Democrats to do. And it's just inaccurate, which is also infuriating. But welcome, Speaker Pelosi. Yeah, great. It's going to be a lot of changes. First thing to do to solve the pandemic, let's get rid of congressman and congresswoman and amen. It's too much A to men. Next. Barstool Sports founder Dave Portnoy has done extraordinary things with his business, and now it's done with his charity. He decided to raise some money, put a million bucks of his own money up, and now millions have poured in to help small business owners, uh, men and women, uh, make it through this lockdown, many of which is unnecessary. And people have done great things. He's posted up the video. He's getting more and more money. Have you, You've seen all this, Allison, right? Oh, it's all over the place. I mean, it's not all over enough, but it is all over the place. And it shows what, you know, the private sector can do more effectively than right. the government. And Pete, you got to get him on. See if he could uh, do it now. He's already the new working on it. Well, uh, Beyonce, uh, they tweeted this. Uh, CNN tweeted this out. Beyonce will offer $5,000 grants to help 100 people facing foreclosures or evictions due to the housing crisis caused by the coronavirus. Wow. $5,000 grants. Well, that's great. Compared to the millions that Dave Portnoy has raised, he wrote this. He tweeted this out. This is great. I wonder if there are any other charities going on that are helping Americans with the corona pandemic that could use press coverage to help raise more money. Very true. Very accurate. Take that, Beyonce. Beyonce. (laughs) Next. Do we have it yet? Blake Shelton is catching backlash for debuting his song, Minimum Wage, on New Year's Eve. You know him from The Voice. He's a country music legend. He married Gwen Stefani, who just happened to be a judge. He wrote a song for her, and here's the key line. Uh, So that's the song, right? Girl, comma... (laughs) your love can make a man feel rich on minimum wage. What is wrong with that? Absolutely nothing. It's a great line, and it's just artificial, you know, outrage. 
they say given the fact that the coronavirus pandemic has caused many businesses to shut down and Americans out of work, people were quick to take to Twitter to lambast the singer for being tone deaf given the current climate. I ask, I just beg he does not apologize like Drew Brees. I totally agree with you. Meanwhile, everyone is just like lauding all other celebrities, you know, doing what they can for COVID as they're vacationing in St. Barks. Exactly. John Legend has a yacht that he was jumping off the side of, and his wife uh, is getting sober for four weeks. How do I know that? Page six, New York Post. Thanks, guys. That is more to know. And that's our hour of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Thanks, Allison, Pete, and Eric. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.